studying the book of Numbers, uh, and it's too late to leave, so stay where you are. And I mentioned to you it is uh, originally called In the Wilderness because it speaks of Israel's wilderness wanderings, and I want us to see the parallel to our own journey from the place uh, of our deliverance uh, to the final destination, our land of promise, which we refer to as heaven. And last week we looked in Numbers chapter 1 at the first commandment given in the book. Many chapters in this book. And so it's interesting to see that the first commandment was this unusual one. Uh, God said, Moses, tell the people to take a census. That's the first command in the book of Numbers. Count the people, but not all the people. In particular, uh, we read last week, God commanded that the men over the age of 20 be counted by tribe. And the total was in excess of 600,000. It wasn't that the women and children were not important. They were of primary importance and therefore needed good spiritual godly leadership in order to make their way through the wilderness. And the task was given to the man. And so they were all enumerated, and the text used the phrase head by head. And I tried to make the point that every man has a role and has a a purpose and is this wonderful potential spiritual leader and guide to family and friends around him. And this is God's intention for every man who's been redeemed and who's on his way to his final destination, that land of promise, heaven. Everyone, head by head, every male was enumerated, but you may be surprised to know that there was a particular group of men within the ancient Israelite community, a tribe, if you will, who were not numbered along with the others. In fact, we could read about it uh, in Numbers chapter 1, beginning in verse 47, so I Call your attention to that text. Numbers chapter 1, verse 47. Listen. The Levites, however, were not numbered among them, the them being all the others. They were not numbered by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor shall you take their census among the sons of Israel. So Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Levi's descendants are known as the Levites. So that's where we got these characters. Levi was one of Jacob's sons. And Levi's descendants are the Levites. There was an episode, and you know about it, in ancient Israelite history recorded in the Bible, where this group of people, the Levites, distinguished themselves from all the other people in a good sense. And it involved an incident involving the golden calf. You know about this incident. Moses is called up to a mount, Mount Sinai. All the rest of the Israelites are encamped around the mountain. And the purpose for which Moses was called up on the mountain was to meet with Almighty God as the people's representative. And he would not come back empty-handed. God was going to place in his hand his heart. 
inscribed on tablets. God was going to place his will in Moses' hand, inscribed on tablets, the marvelous Ten Commandments. And while this transaction, a great honor and a great privilege, was going on down below, down to earth, uh, the people got bored, I suppose. They wondered about Moses' absence. Patient they were not. And so they put pressure on Aaron, and Aaron caved under it. And the pressure was for Aaron to cooperate with them in collecting gold and other such thing, cast it into a fire, heated up, melted so as to form it uh, into the form of a golden calf, Get this, as the object of their worship, as the object of their worship, Almighty God says, Israel, I have saved you. I will be your God and you will be my people. And Israel says, thank you, but no thank you. And they fashion an object. <laughs> an image, a non-thinking, non-living thing that they choose to bow before instead of almighty living God. You know, just when I'm on the verge of wanting to give up on other Christians, have you ever been there? Yeah, amen is right. There you go. I think, Paul, I think about, <laughs> I heard you, I think about, I think about God and how long-suffering he is uh, with one such as you <laughs> and me and the ancient. Look, look what's going on. So anyway, this is what they do. So then God says, Moses, do you know what your people are doing? And he informs Moses, and Moses is appalled by it all. And God says, go down and deal with them. And so he goes down from the heights to the valley, and uh, we read this in Exodus chapter 32 is where it is. I'll just read a few verses to you. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of, here they go, all the sons of Levi gathered, there's 12 tribes, but just this one, all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. He said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And then Moses said, to the Levites, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord. For every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he, the Lord, may bestow a blessing upon you today. And so the Levites separated themselves uh, from the rest of the people. And as a reward, God separated or sanctified them unto his peculiar service. And that's why they are the singular tribe not enumerated as were the others for warfare. They were not to participate in that kind of fight. Why? Because God had reserved for them the privilege of being fully invested and engaged in a fight of a different kind. Oh, everyone 
who's in the wilderness better be ready to fight. But there are different battles. And this one was a battle for the people's hearts and minds and wills. This was a battle to help the people keep their focus. And it would require all their time and all their energy and Everything they had, all of their resources. And so God says, do not be distracted by physical warfare. No, you have distinguished yourself. I distinguish you for this task. There's a fight on your hand, but it's not as you think. And so God says to them, you will not be numbered for military service. But, verse 50, you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings and they shall take care of it and they shall also camp around the tabernacle. And so these Levites were given a special particular responsibilities with regard to this object known as the tabernacle. In particular, if you look to verse 50, you can see three C's. In particular, they were, here's the first one, they were to carry it. Then secondly, they were to care for it. And thirdly, they were to camp around it. Can you say those three C words with me? Carry, care, camp. But this will be important as we go through the lesson. So please keep it in mind. With regard to the tabernacle, three C's defined uh, their purpose in life. Their divinely designated task involved three C's with regard to the tabernacle. And it was to, number one, carry it, then care for it, and also to camp. Okay, good. You got it. Now, verse 51. So when the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle encamps, the Levites shall set it up. But the layman, meaning an unauthorized person who comes near, shall be put to death. The sons of Israel shall camp each man by his own camp and each man by his own standard, according to their armies. Uh, but the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. So the Levites were not to be enumerated for battle of a military kind. Instead, they were put in charge of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, perhaps you know, was a temporary portable tent. It was fitting for a people on a journey, fitting for a people who no longer where they w used to be, but are still yet not where they're supposed to be. So a tabernacle, not roots, but something movable and portable was very, very fitting for a people on the move. And so this was the tabernacle. And this was not Moses' idea. This was God's. When uh, God called Moses up on Mount Sinai. He gave Moses not only the Ten Commandments, but the design very specifically, uh, uh, point by point, uh, the design for this tabernacle. Why? Because the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, everything about it, was a symbol in whole or in part, a symbol of the presence of Almighty God with the people, especially during their wilderness wandering. When they looked to the tabernacle, 
They remembered the presence of God and the holiness of God. And they knew where to go for guidance. They knew their guide would establish his presence amongst them in this particular tent. It is God saying, I'm tenting with you while you're in your temporary dwellings, your booths and so on. While you're making your way through the wilderness onto your land of promise, you need not think you have to make a go of it alone. I'm your guide. I'm with you. But you're prone to forget. So I give you a visible, an object. There it is. You can't miss it. It's the tabernacle and it's the symbol of my presence in your midst. It was specifically designed for worship and for guidance for a people on the move. And so the Levites were not numbered with the fighting men, but boy, did they have a fight on their hands. And it would take everything, every bit of strength and resource they they had. And it was the fight to keep people focused on the tabernacle, to keep people focused on the symbol of the presence of God in their midst. You see, the people in their wilderness journey, if they lost their focus, if their focus was taken away from the presence of God. They're going to make it, but it's all by his, because it's by his grace, but they would wander around aimlessly in the wilderness. Well, they did lose their focus and they turned an 11 day journey into 40 years of wilderness wanderings. It was unnecessary, but they lost their focus. But this is the job of the Levites. Call the people back to God who is tenting in their midst. And so that's why they were not permitted to go out with the army. You see, if the people took their eyes off of the word of God, the guidance from the guide, they would be lost in the wilderness. And that's why, notice in verse 50 and two times in verse 53, the tabernacle is referred to, you could see it, I think, in your text, as the tabernacle of the testimony. The tabernacle of the testimony. Why is it called that? Because in this tent was a box. It was made of acacia wood and it was covered in gold. But it wasn't the precious nature of the externals that mattered. It was the preciousness of what the box contained that was very important. The box, the ark, was the ark of the covenant. In it was a written record of God's covenant with this people. In it was the reflection of God's will and ways and heart and morals and ethics and holiness. In the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments. And so it was housed as a centerpiece, you see, in the tabernacle. And the Levite's job was to continually call the attention of the Israelites to the testimony. It's the tabernacle of testimony. They couldn't do their own thing. They couldn't decide matters for themselves. They had to consult the written expression of the will of God. Of course, the equivalent for us, you can see it in our wilderness journey is what? Yeah, it's the Bible. How do we think we could make it through life without consulting the Bible guidance from the guide? Anyway, this was the job of the Levites. And so they were given this responsibility of keeping the people focused on God's word so that the people wouldn't lose focus and wander aimlessly in the wilderness. And so the tabernacle was positioned 
uh, right in the midst of the people. It was where everybody, small tribes, big tribes, everybody had access to it. Everybody could see it. There was no reason for anyone to lose focus. There it was smack dab in the center uh, of their encampment. It was the symbol of God camping, tenting with them, of God being in the center of their wilderness experience. And so they dare not lose sight of the tabernacle, you see. They, they must not lose sight of it. And could they? Is it possible for a people who spent centuries enslaved and laboring at the hands of a cruel taskmaster who merely cries out to God, has nothing good to bring to the table, can't bargain with him with regard to their inherent goodness, can only express their need and their poverty and their dependence and their anguish. They cry out to him. And just on that basis, he hears their cry for mercy and he liberates them magnificently and miraculously through ten plagues and all the rest. He frees them from the greatest empire on earth. And he says, I shall be your king. I will be your good shepherd. I'll be your guide. You'll be my people. How could it be? Could it be that this kind of people would lose sight of that kind of God? Yeah. And so too could we. Because we too are a delivered people. How did we get saved? How were we freed from our cruel taskmaster? The bondage of sin. Its power, its presence, its penalty. In so many words, we cried out to God. We said, oh God, forgive me. God never said, let's make a deal. What do you have to offer? What do you bring to me? What do I get out of it? Please give me an enumeration of your goodness says. We sang in so many words to him, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And God said, you got it right. And the redness of our blood, of our sin, was covered up by the redness of the Messiah's blood. And God said, now I shall be your king and savior and deliverer and you shall be my people. Is it possible that one such as us, recipients of such mercy, such an inexpressible gift, is it possible that we could lose sight of God in our wilderness journey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. All the time, prone to wander. Yeah, yeah, all the time. And so God said, Levites... You don't have any time to take up your arms. <sighs> Levites, you've got to direct their attention. They're a straying people. They're foolish sheep. They're going to lose sight of me, the shepherd. And your job is to make sure as best you could that their focus is kept on the tabernacle of, of, of testimony. They must not lose sight of the tabernacle. You see, for the ancient Israelites, there were so many things in the wilderness journey that could distract them, you see. And so in putting the tabernacle in their midst, God is saying, pay attention to me. Let me illustrate something to you. It's kind of a foolish illustration, but maybe it'll help. Uh, look around the room here just for a second. Just you, you see a number of other people besides yourself. 
Um, can you imagine that each other person represents a facet of your life? Let's just assume that. Your life is, everyone's life is busy. My wife and I were talking the other day. I was lamenting about how I can't even have a conversation with anyone any, anymore without their cell phone going off. It's just not possible to have an undistracted conversation anymore, you know. And uh, so I was, as we say in Yiddish, I was fetching. I was complaining. I was saying, gee, I had this person who asked me for time. I set up an appointment and I sit there. Uh, to try to help the person and the phone goes, oh, excuse me, let me, I'll be right, I'm sorry, I have to take this. So I'm so, so I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs. I'm thinking, good night, I don't even want to meet with you. You're the one who set it up. I mean, it's just a crazy, we're so busy. We're, so imagine everyone here represents a phone call, a facet, a bill you have to pay, a responsibility you have to attend to, an obligation. I mean, just one of the many stressors in your life. Imagine that. And, and everyone, everyone who represents something is getting your attention. You know, getting your attention. You're just distracted. You don't even know who to give your focus to because of all these, all these facets of attention. And now, um, uh, uh, Charlie, since you're dozing off just a little bit, could you stand? This is for you. Can you stand? It's not a punishment, I promise. Can you stand? So this is Charlie. He's a great guy. And, uh, uh most of the time. And, uh, Charlie, can you do something? I, I, I know you'll let me do this to you. Can you just wave your hands uh, just like this? Like you're trying to get attention. That, that kind of thing. I, I, absolutely. So look at here. Folks, out of all of the people here, um, who's getting our attention? You mean Charlie. Charlie, keep it going, buddy. You need the exercise. And, and uh, let, me put, let me put it this way. If you're going to doze off, do not sit in the front. I just... It's just a principle from the book of Numbers. Okay. So here's my point, Charlie, and thank you for doing this. He's a great guy. Uh, I, I, Charlie got the attention, even in the midst of all... Thank you, <laughs> thank you brother. Um, uh, Charlie got the attention in the midst of all the variables and uh, possible people who could get attention. Charlie did. He stood. He looms large. He stood above it all. And in God setting up the tabernacle, it's as if he's saying to everyone, you have all these potential facets of your life and your wilderness wandering. They all have to be attended to. Sure, everything is important, but you don't know how to prioritize because everything is important to you. You're missing the point that I'm not important to you. I'm vital. I'm not optional. Everything else is optional, but I'm necessary. And so I'm waving. I'm beckoning for your attention in the form of a divinely instituted, uh, detailed, constructed tabernacle saying, look at me. Take your eyes off of all of the other distracting facets of your life, distracting you tearing you down, depressing you, filling you with worry, disrupting your sleep. What about me? The tabernacle is a sign saying, don't leave home without me. Don't try to get through the desert without me. Don't try to find guidance without your guide. And so this is what it means uh, to have the tabernacle in the, don't you think it's a good God who says, give me your attention for your good, for your guidance. I care about you even in the midst 
of your wilderness journey. You could find me in your desert experience if only you will cease being distracted from every other aspect of life and give your undivided attention to the giver of life. And that's the point of the tabernacle here, you see, in the wilderness. And so God said, Levites, you're responsible for the symbol of my presence. And so specifically, uh, we memorized earlier three specific responsibilities they had with reference to the tabernacle. They all start with C. And the first one was, yeah, they had to carry it. Folks, has it occurred to you what a burden that would be? Do you know how heavy this thing would be? Are you kidding me? Listen, there are people on the move. They got 40 years to do this, to make this trip. You can read in the Bible about how many places they went to. You know what God says to the Levites? When I tell you to move, you guys take it all down. And then you will set it up at the next place, I tell you. But then you will take it down again when I tell you to move again. And you will carry it to the next place. And when we get to the next place, you guys, you, the Levi, you will set it up again. For how long? Not long. You will set it up again only for as long as I want it to be set up. And when I tell you to move again, you guys will take it down again. You will carry every bit of it on your shoulders. It's complicated. It's complex. It is heavy. It is cumbersome. And you will do it. To carry the tabernacle is no small task. It's a big burden. They would be tempted to leave the burden behind. They would be tempted to get out from under the burden. Do we really need it all? Do we every need every bit of it? Isn't there some other way to do it? Can't we come back to it later? But remember, the tabernacle is the symbol of the very presence of God. I want to ask you a question, but you don't have to answer it except to yourself. Have you ever felt that the lordship of Almighty God is burdensome? It is a great privilege, we know this, to be saved redeemed and to have a personal relationship with almighty God, but it's also a burden. Why? Because he tells you what to do. That's why. Because you're not on your own. You're not the master of your own wilderness journey anymore. He bought you with a price. He ransomed you. He owns you. And though you want guidance, yet it's a burden to seek it and follow it. Is it not? Let's just face it. The presence of God with us in the wilderness journey, on the one hand, is a privilege, but on the other hand, is a burden. And that's why sometimes we're prone not to carry that burden. We we just free ourselves of it and say, I don't want to know what the guide wants me to do because I want to do what I want to do. I'm free of the burden. And so the Levite's responsibility was to remind the people, Though it is a weighty thing to travel through the wilderness under the weight of the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, and the lordship of God, you must stay under that burden or you'll be lost in the wilderness. You see? Carry it. And then there was a second C. What was it? They were to, they were to care. When you care for something, you value it. Is that true? You value it. They were to care for the tabernacle in its entirety, every aspect of it. 
It contained all manner of things. Furnishings. But they were to care. They were to value all of it, not one over the other. And so the Ark of the Covenant was not more important than the mercy seat in the tabernacle. And the mercy seat was not more important than the altar of incense in the courtyard of the tabernacle. And the altar of incense was not more important than the table of showbread in the holy part of the tabernacle. And the table of showbread was not more important than the golden lampstand. And on and on and on. They were given the responsibility of caring for, valuing every aspect of the tabernacle. Folks, as members of the church of Jesus Christ, who has tabernacled amongst us, Every aspect of church life must be valued and cared for. And when you get ourselves into trouble, because some here, for instance, really care for and value one aspect of church life more than another. And so there's a tendency to sort of compete for turf. So some here really, really value foreign missions. And others here do not. They don't understand that high valuation on that aspect of church life when we ought to value helping and caring and evangelistic ministries here at home. And so there are those who value evangelistic ministries of a domestic kind. But then there are others here who value worship so much. They want us to be worshipers. Sometimes they yell at us for not worshiping as we should. Worship. Then there are others here who say, what? A kind of a church are we if we are not all praying and they have this passion for prayer? It juices you. And they say this is the most important aspect of what we do. But then there are others who say, wait a second. If we don't take care of each other's material needs when there are those needs, we have failed as a church. And so helping hands kinds of things arouses the passion of some as as over against that of others. So we can get in kind of fights. Even as we think of this magnificent new building, the Lord, I think, has us on the way into. And we pray sooner rather than later. Sooner rather than, than later. And so when we get there, you could already sense a little bit the education aspect of the... I'm a Bible guy. So for me, like the Bible is everything. But the Bible tells me about the other furnishings. The Bible tells me about a children's ministry and youth ministry and college ministry and the ministry to our seniors. And we're not allowed. Nobody here is allowed to fashion this church into a kind of a single issue church. In other words, we don't have one piece of furniture. All of these things are important. And the task of the Levites was not only to carry it all, but to care for, to value it all. One couldn't say, oh, gee, that golden lampstand thing, it's cumbersome, it's in the way, but I really like the incense. You you really? I don't like the incense. I prefer the candelabra thing. How could you? How could? And then you start dividing. Oh, no. Instead, we have to say, oh, God, thank you. That we're all passionate about you, but that we're passionate about different aspects of what you would have us do. That makes us stronger. The whole is far greater than the sum of the parts. Every once in a while, I say, oh, God, why can't everyone be like me? This is something I ask. Thank you. Thank thank you, the three of you, for... um... 
But then I realized, then, then, then I realized, as much as the Bible, please don't misunderstand, is so very, very important. What if we just had, what if, what, what if it was just Bible and, and, and what if it wasn't the other aspects of, of what, of what we're privileged to do as a faith community, as a, as a local church. And so, so this was the second responsibility they had. So the first one, the first thing was with regard to the tabernacle, they were to, uh, carry and then the second one they were to and the third one they're to camp look at here you know what god said i want you to set up a perimeter i want you to set up a perimeter of space around this holy place that's what he's that's what he's saying he's saying all the tribes got their got their spots around outer circle but you levites you priests you're the inner circle and uh, any unauthorized person who comes near in an unauthorized way is going to die. Levites, you have to protect my holiness. Now, why is that necessary? It's interesting. Because God was so near, so available, so available, so present, they could take him for granted. They could profane his holiness. They could say things like you hear people say, the big guy upstairs. God is my co-pilot. Ah, I just want to die when I hear that. He's the co-pilot? So here's the thing. Theologians have these terms, imminence of God, transcendence of God. The imminence of God means God with us. Close. The transcendence of God means God wholly removed from us. The imminence of God means his enfleshment as the God-man. The transcendence of God means he's a consuming fire. He's unapproachably holy. He's the most high God. And we people in our wilderness journey have to retain, uh, maintain the tension between these two marvelous aspects of God's character. I call him Abba. Daddy, Papa, but he's also the almighty King of Kings, the Alpha and Omega, the Ancient of Days, the beginning and the end. I have to. And so God said, Levite, set up a protective perimeter because these people may get so familiar with my nearness to you, to them. They may think I'm one of them. I'm not one of them. I'm wholly other. And yet, though I am wholly other, I have established a point of contact with you. I have tented in your midst. I have tented, but don't dilute in my nearness. Don't dilute my holiness. I have not sinned. I do not sin. I cannot sin. I will not sin. I hate sin. I am wholly other than you sinners. Treat me with respect. Treat me with holiness. Come to me just like a little child charging onto the lap of a loving dad. But make sure you know you're the child. I'm the dad. Make sure you treat me as high and lifted up. For surely I am. And so they had these three responsibilities. And so they were to carry and care for and camp around the tabernacle. And these were so vital 
that God said, do this on a full-time basis. But I ask you this question, have you run into a Levite lately? I mean, not in my neighborhood in Pearland. We're short on Levites. We don't. So without this priestly class performing these three C's today, who's doing this? We is. First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. Just about on the way to closing here. First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. But you, believers, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood that distinguished, dignified, privileged, sanctified, specially called class, the Levites, are only a foreshadowing for every single Christian today. We are a holy priesthood. In spite of messages you have received in growing up to the contrary, (laughs) now, having been born anew, your father has pronounced upon you a promotion, the likes of which you could never imagine, but it's true. You are part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. The Levites are only a temporary, small foreshadowing of the ultimate fulfillment of a believer priest. You, Christian, are a believer priest. You are not junk. You are not worthless. You are not to be exploited. You are not to be abused. You will not be neglected or ever abandoned in the wilderness by Almighty God. You are His royal priesthood, which means the three C functions are yours and mine now. We are to carry the burden of the Lordship of Jesus Christ through life. We are to care for, value every aspect of His church on earth manifested in local fellowships like this particular one. Every aspect of it is valuable. We will not demean anyone's passion. Nothing is unimportant as it concerns the forward movement of the people of God in the glory of our King. And we are the ones tasked with the wonderful privilege and and responsibility of setting up a protective perimeter and camping around the holiness of God so that the world does not use his name in vain, does not number him amongst pretenders to the throne, but that everyone has a chance to bow before him now, voluntarily, lovingly, gratefully, for one day every knee shall bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are the believer priests with those three C functions. Now listen here. Another C. I want to make a covenant with you. Public, this is serious. I covenant to do the best I can to do the three C's on your behalf. To uh, be an encouragement to you in staying under the burden of the Lordship of Christ. Two, in showing value 
to what God has called you to do now and in the future as we prepare for our new location. And then I covenant to do my best to set up a perimeter around the holiness of God so that I avoid doing anything unholy that may cause you to stumble. I covenant that. Now I want to ask you this. Do you covenant to do the same? Do you covenant? Three C's. Then I want to ask you to stand to your feet and we're going to pray. This is important. Public. Covenant before God and these witnesses. Repeat after me. Almighty God, in your presence, and surely you are here, for you tent amongst us. I covenant before you and these witnesses to carry the burden of your lordship over my life in my wilderness journey. And to attach care and value to every passionate area of service, to every passionate area of service that my brothers and sisters are passionate about. And furthermore, I covenant to encamp around your holy presence. Cautioning people about getting too close, too familiar, without first coming to you through the cross on which you died. This I promise to do for your glory and for the well-being of my fellow wilderness travelers. Amen.